by Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7. Brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Visit DairyLaneDental.com. Hi there, I'm Jeff Carter, and this is The Writing Report. And with me this week, we've got MPP, Graydon Smith, the MPP for Perry Sound Muskoka, and also the Minister of the Natural Resources and Forestry. He's with us uh, again this week to uh, talk about some of the things that are happening in the riding and uh, around the province. Welcome. Thanks. Great to be back. I wish yeah. I was the Minister of Sunny Days because <laughs> the second time I've been in the studio and it is oppressively cloudy today <laughs> and bad weather. Uh, I don't know when everyone's going to be listening to this. Maybe it'd be sunny when they're listening. But well, it might be sunny when they're listening. My running to joke it. when I was in municipal politics was if it was a nice day, it was because of your local municipal politician, or if it was a bad day, it was because of Norm or Tony. Uh, then you know, federally or provincially, I can't use that line anymore. No, but you can always blame it on the towns. Yeah, I have to download. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's new and exciting in the world of? Uh, provincial politics yeah well always busy although not as busy i guess as it could be because the legislature isn't sitting right now so the winter break ends just after family day we'll be back uh, for the spring session which is going to go through until june uh so getting ready for that and uh, preparing for the uh the commute to start once again uh, back and forth to toronto on a on a regular basis to represent the fine folks of perry sound muskoka um, but in the meantime, you know, been all over the riding, talking to uh, all sorts of people about all sorts of things, whether they're municipal leaders or uh, just individuals with, um, you know, certain things they want to know more about or, or issues that we can help them with through the constituency office. Okay, well, let's get into it because there's uh, lots of things to talk about. I want to start it by talking about uh, changes to um, the rules for conservation authorities. And we're coming up into flood season. And uh, I guess the, my question is, what are the changes that uh, have been uh, given to these authorities and how does that impact their ability to protect, you know, wetlands and other places? Yeah, uh, well, we're crossing into a couple of uh, different topics there when you start talking about wetlands. But to go back to uh, the first part about conservation authorities, first of all, uh, we don't have a conservation authority in our area, just for listeners, so so they uh, understand how it works in Muskoka. And not every area in Ontario has one, but many areas do. There's 36 of them, uh, and they all um, kind of have their own regulation as to how they operate and, and what they do. And the changes that we made were primarily around just scoping uh, some of the work to really focus on the part uh, that you talked about, which is really keeping people safe. Um, you know, keeping people uh, out of uh, floodlands and hazard protection. Uh, and they have infrastructure as part of uh, what they do. Uh, they operate dams and um, water levels uh, in their area. So, uh, you know, none of that goes away with the changes that have been made to conservation authorities. In fact, I uh, argue that, you know, it's in their, their focus is enhanced uh, on that personal protection piece. Um, that doesn't mean, uh, as we know from the floods that we've seen in this area, um, that everyone can be fully in control of the water at all times. Mother Nature is going to play a very significant role in what happens uh, as springtime rolls out. Um, but uh, yeah, certainly uh, from a conservation authority perspective, 
Uh, you know, they're still there doing the, the great work that they've always done to keep people safe uh, and to uh, do the very best they can uh, to manage, you know, water infrastructure and, and flows with, uh, in, in their designated areas. Um, you touched on wetlands for a moment. There have been, uh, as part of the uh, same legislation, but kind of a different component of it, some changes to how wetlands are evaluated in Ontario. But again, very happy to say that there's still lots of protection for wetlands uh, in Ontario, that uh, you know, there's an opportunity to have uh, wetlands evaluated by independent, third-party, qualified evaluators that know uh, exactly uh, what they're doing. Um, you know, we have streamlined uh, some of the uh, components in terms of uh, how the evaluation takes place and what's considered. Um, most notably, um, where people uh, respond to me is around species at risk. Well, species at risk is still very much uh, in in the ballpark, so to speak, because um, the Ministry of Environment, Conservation and Parks has species at risk legislation that has to be uh, adhered to. So, you know, while there has been uh, some changes, um, you know, I think there's a real opportunity for uh, wetlands in Ontario to be um, uh, expanded in some cases. So, um, you know, the notion of uh, being able to uh, offset wetlands, uh, some people uh, like it. Um, I like it because I've seen examples uh, where you can take um, uh, what is uh, kind of a, a lower quality wetland and perhaps have a very much improved outcome for uh, what uh, a wetland can look like, uh, you know, by making some, some, some minor changes. Um, so uh, I think we'll continue to, to use the experts that we have at hand to talk about um, the future of how we manage wetlands in Ontario. But um, we know that, you know, they're, they're disappearing in, in some places. We think there's an opportunity to stem that tide and in some cases expand and enhance. All right. Well, it's the middle of February and already the MNRF locally has put out, uh, I guess, fluid um, warnings or outlooks uh, for the region. Weather is changing. Weather patterns are changing. And do you have any idea from your ministry what they're expecting this spring season as far as, you know, water flow, the amount of water in the snow and how that's going to be released into the system? And are we looking for uh, better outcomes as far as flooding this year than in previous years, especially when you were mayor of Bracebridge and you had that catastrophic flood a few years ago. Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, watershed management and snowpack management and data collection that goes on throughout the winter. Of course, we've had a, a bit of, a, I guess, an unusual winter where we've had uh, periods where we've had very little snow and then periods where we've had a lot of snow and, you know, it's kind of gone back and forth a, a couple of times. Really, it, it is about how much uh, water content is in the snowpack once you start to get to uh, the spring freshet season uh, and that releases. And how it releases is, again, dependent a lot on Mother Nature in terms of whether it's a long, sustained, slow melt or whether it hangs on for a long, long time throughout you know March and into early April. And then you get uh, a very significant weather event like a rain or thunderstorm that you know goes on for a day uh, and just kind of makes it release all at once. So uh, some of it you can predict and some of it you can you know use the data to make some uh, best guesses and modeling uh, and some of the, some of it you can't. And so we're just kind of at that point now where you can start to look 
far enough into um, the spring to to make some calculations, and I'll be meeting, of course, with ministry officials on that to to find out more um, in the in the next couple of weeks uh, to understand where we're at and and what the projections are. And I think one of the things that has uh, definitely changed for the better since 2013, uh, when we had our first flood uh, in Bracebridge, and there was flooding in Huntsville as well. Uh, is that the, the communication between MNRF uh, and municipalities is much greater. Uh, and so, you know, there's an opportunity to plan and prepare. Okay. Now, recently you had uh, a meeting with the representatives of Climate Action Muskoka, Climate Action, I believe, Perry Sound, and El Magwin Highlands Climate Action. And uh, they had requested to talk to you. They're in opposition to some of the government's uh, I guess, priorities with um, the Green Belt and things like that. So, and concerns about the climate in general. But they were happy that uh, you sat and listened to them and uh, you've promised to take their concerns to caucus. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, we had a great conversation for about uh, an hour, as a matter of fact, with all those organizations, and um, each of them had some different components of uh, things that they wanted to talk about. But, I mean, that's the role of MPP, is to be there and listen to everybody in your riding uh, and and make sure that you're hearing hearing their concerns. And sometimes people agree with what you're doing, and sometimes they don't, um, and that's all okay. You know, I think the other component of it, too, is you take all that you uh, hear and uh, read and, and, and find out through conversation uh, and kind of distill it down into, you know, what's happening locally, where are our thoughts locally. Uh, and, you know, those conversations I have in caucus and cabinet, uh, those, those conversations are informed by, you know, those other conversations that I've had with people in the riding. So, uh, you know, it, it's certainly a very important part of the, the, the process for me to, to hear from everyone. I'm the MPP for everybody in the area, regardless of whether they voted for me or not. Um, and so it's incumbent on me to have those uh, conversations and get those points of views. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break and uh, we will be right back. We're sitting with MPP Graydon Smith. Your source for community. Muskoka made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 887. Brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Visit DairyLaneDental.com. And welcome back to the Riding Report. I'm Jeff Carter, and with me we have Graydon Smith, the MPP for Perry Sound Muskoka, and he's also the minister in charge of the uh, natural resources and forestry for Ontario. And I want to switch gears a little bit, if you don't mind, Graydon. Uh, healthcare's um, a big thing. It's been in the news provincially for a little while, and uh, this week, we had uh, the pleasure of making a donation to MindAid, um, a check for $5,000 to help support uh, their initiatives, which are helping people 30 and under navigate the world of mental health supports. And, you know, we've heard a lot about uh, what's going on with traditional physical medicine, you know, with the introduction of uh, private uh, health care paid for by public dollars and trying to relieve some of the pressure on the you know public health system. But I don't really hear a lot about mental health at all from the government. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah, well, um, 
first of all, congratulations on the donation to support Mind Day. They do uh, incredible work locally and, and good on you for supporting them. Um, you know, we want to make sure as a government that we're providing uh, supports to people around mental health. Uh, I attended a, a day here in Huntsville on um, kind of Let's Talk Day, I guess, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Councillor Morrison was very uh, generous to put on a day to, to talk about mental health. And I was able to talk about some of my own challenges around mental health over the years. And it was really the first time that I discussed that. Um, and I did that because, you know, we're at a place where people are, um, we've never been more open. We've never been more, I think, understanding and, and empathetic as, uh, you know, a society. Um, as to the challenges uh, that people um, face around mental health, whether they're they're younger or older, the the support around that now needs to um, you know be there to, to match that that level of conversation and transparency. Um, that's why I'm I'm thrilled to be part of a government that is, takes mental health extremely seriously. We're the the first government in Ontario to have a dedicated associate minister of mental health and addictions, Administrator Bolo. Um, and I get to sit right next to him in the legislature and have conversations about what he's doing. And uh, he is a very thoughtful, very you know committed individual. And the government um, announced um, a couple of years ago what was known as the Roadmap to Wellness. Uh, and it's a multi-billion dollar investment uh, over 10 years in mental health uh, and addiction services and supports. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's not something that can all be done, you know, at once to create the amount of capacity that that we need for folks uh, here in Ontario, uh, but it is something very much that the government is working towards and working with other um, groups in different communities. Uh, on on Let's Talk Day, uh, it was an opportunity for them to uh, roll out a, another component of the roadmap to wellness, which is a kind of virtual walk-in clinics for youth, um, you know, more capacity in that, so that when uh, you know folks. Uh, uh, younger folks are are having a challenge. There's a uh, you know a quick button to to push to to get somebody to talk to, um, and and all these incremental things are important and will ultimately, uh, you know, lead to a much better system for people again, young or old, to, to find the supports they need. Um, but uh, certainly, we're taking it very very seriously. Mm-hmm. Jody North with Mind Data was telling me that the average wait time right now for our youth to find services is about two years. And uh, that's uh, amazing to me when you figure that, you know, you've got physical disabilities that you need to visit a hospital with. You'll wait and, you know, you won't be happy about it, but you will be taken care of within a day or less than a day, you know. So so waiting two years uh, is, you know, I find unbelievable really yeah i think it it speaks to the way we treated mental health in the past right which was to kind of ignore it or stigmatize it or um not really uh, address it head on or institutionalize it in some cases which is uh you know why i think it's very refreshing that uh again the government that i'm part of is just taking a very different approach and said we need a dedicated minister to uh, look at these issues and to be you know the receptor of these conversations and to take that information and and try and make the the system better uh, and and more responsive to people and and make investments and and so you know again very pleased that we're doing that um, again not not the magic wand uh, solution that's going to create all this capacity instantly but you know we've really been starting from a place where where governments over the years didn't didn't take it I I don't think quite as seriously as we do today um, you know for a variety of reasons all right.
So uh, we've got a few minutes left here, and I wanted to uh, touch on uh, some funding for not-for-profits and charities that's available in the province, and um, some uh, organizations may not be aware. Yeah, I mean, if people follow me on social media, they'll see that often I'm uh, doing announcements around something called the Ontario Dream Fund, and that we've supported, you know, group X, Y, or Z with with money. And most recently, uh, on the weekend, I was in Huntsville with uh, some uh, support for Enliven Cancer Care, which does amazing things for people post-diagnosis and their families and and caregivers, uh, you know, to keep them integrated in the community. And um, so what the Dream Fund does is really focus on nonprofits and the opportunity to support them and the work that they do. And especially coming off the last couple of years uh, of a pandemic where everything was disrupted, including the ability to deliver services in you know, the way that these groups always had uh, or fundraise in, in the ways that they always had. Um, the government recognized that and created a specific resilient community stream um, to, to, to try and make these organizations a, a little bit more whole and keep these good things happening in communities. Uh, you know, volunteer-based organizations are very near and dear to my heart. It's really how I got started in politics at the very uh, basic level of being part of a service club um, and experiencing the, the joy of saying, how can I help? Uh, and, and trying to assist, you know, those that, that needed a hand in the community. Um, and so I have a real love for these organizations, and I want to make sure that they know that there is support through government program out there through the Trillium Fund. Um, and that if they haven't been taking advantage of it, um, that they should look at the types uh, of programs that are available and the funding windows as they as they open to make sure that they're applying and make sure that they're getting their opportunity to to get some funding. You know, hopefully it's a fit and a, and a match um, that you know will will keep their good work going in the community. It's not a guarantee that everybody gets money because there's a lot of groups out there sure. um, that are that are looking for support. But at the same time, I just don't want groups to miss the opportunity to examine that as a potential uh, source of funding for them to deliver the great works that they do in a community. Mm-hmm. And I should also throw in that uh, there is some other funding through the United Way and um, Muskoka Community Futures for one-time funding for not-for-profits. So that's also available. Yeah, and there's, there are multiple streams out there uh, of ways to access funding, but it gets confusing, right? You know, yeah. the organizations that are volunteer organizations aren't necessarily set up to be right on top of right. Um, every opportunity out there. So I just you know, felt uh, that I really wanted to get that message out today mm-hmm. that, you know, if we can help you through my office, uh, if, if you've got a question, you know, give us a call uh, and we'll see if there's a way that we can uh, link you up with that program. Great. And let's finish off by talking again. I know I broached this last time we talked to you about returning Muskoka to northern status. Um, I know that you met with uh, officials uh, from the government. I think Rickford, Minister Rickford, is that correct? Who uh, is uh, in charge of that kind of thing. And also uh, local mayors, the the new district chair, and uh, exploring ways to possibly bring back Muskoka into the north and reunite it with Perry Sound, which is a part of this, uh, this writing. So, uh, anything I'm just thinking going peaches, on there? Peaches and herb right now. Yeah. Reunited. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was a really good conversation and uh, glad I was able to sit in and, and give my two cents. You know, back when I was married 10 years ago, uh, this was a, a real thing for me to try and get 
uh, Muskoka back in the Northern Ontario. It was a little different uh, at the time in terms of the motivation. So 10 years ago, the government of the day uh, was looking at forming different economic development support zones. And we were kind of left out of everything. Mm-hmm. We were the hole in the donut in Ontario. And there was no way that that could happen. And um, because of past history, it seemed like you know, getting uh, back into the Northern Ontario sphere would, would be the best outcome. In the end, we ended up in, in the Eastern Ontario zone. Uh, and over the years, these programs get tweaked and manipulated and, uh, you know, to, to, Kind of achieve different things at different times depending on what the economy is doing um so here we are 10 years later and uh totally understand the the request of uh, the local municipal officials and you know want to work with them really to find out what the the best outcome is and i think the conversation with minister rickford was a, a critical one that said hey let's look at some data let's look at um the the types of funding that muskoka might want access from a municipal government side the types of businesses that are in Muskoka and, you know, what they might benefit from, whether they were in Northern Ontario or, you know, currently can benefit from, from the Eastern Ontario side and, and do a little data gathering and a little bit of math and, and just see where the, the best place to be is. Um, and if that, you know, is uh, where we are today, or if that is uh, a move to, to Northern Ontario, then discuss, you know, those next steps. I, I'd like to say it's an easy thing. you know. It, not much in politics is, and this is one of those things too, because I think you really don't, you don't want to leap before you look because the programs have changed over the years. I think you do want to do some analysis around it and make sure that it is the best outcome uh, if you were to make that move and what are the pros and what are the cons. Um, And that's not to say this needs to take forever, um, but I think there does need to be a little bit of analysis done Mm -hmm. just to make sure that what everyone's asking for is indeed the best way to, you know, achieve sure. the goal. And you just took my last question as to when you thought that this would either move forward or not. Yeah. Well, steps, right? It's <laughs> it not, is the government. We're, we're not sprinting, about. Uh, but we're, we're, uh, we're taking steps, which I, I think are reasonable steps and, and, you know, appropriate at the time to again, make a decision based on facts and figures and, and not just on guesswork. All right. Well, that's uh, been Graydon Smith, the MPP for Perrystown, Muskoka. In with the Riding Report, I'm Jeff Carter. Thank you very much for coming in, Graydon. Pleasure as always.